This is Joanne Worley, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television that will welcome back Howard Storm and Steve Stolyer in our second hour. Howard Storm, one of the most prolific directors in television, including nearly 60 episodes of Mork and Mindy, plus episodes of many shows produced by Gary Marshall and MTM Productions. Howard Storm, also a living, breathing witness to many of the changes in stand-up comedy throughout the 50s, 60s, and early 1970s. Howard performed in nightclubs in New York, San Francisco, and later in L.A. as a member of the committee. We'll talk about some of Howard's influences as a stand-up comedian. We'll also talk about his experience as a member of the Desilu Players, where he worked directly with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. All that and more in our second hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Zoom as we begin this hour by playing part two of a conversation that began a couple weeks ago with Emmy Award-nominated comedy writer Jim Abel. Jim Abel, one of the staff writers of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, plus Jim, along with his writing partner Chet Dowling, wrote many of the famous blackout sketches and Love American style, plus he wrote original material for such stars as Cass Elliot, Lily Tomlin, the Doobie Brothers, and Anne Margaret. You can follow Jim Abel on Facebook. As we pick up the conversation, Tony, Donna, Jim, and I are talking about some of the various cultural references that came from Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Judge Wapner appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and the band played like a traditional intro. You know, you have that wonderful orchestra, and then they segue, yeah. here comes the judge. Yeah. And this had to be like 20 years after Laugh-In, and it was hysterical, and everybody was laughing, and I know probably half the audience didn't get the reference. But it just, yeah. it was this beautiful orchestral intro, and then the drums started beating, the same rhythm that they did on the Laughing Show, and then the band started singing, Here Comes the Judge. I mean, and yeah. it just kind of stopped everything. It was just, you know, the influence that that show had on our culture. Right. And before Sam Davis stopped, Sammy was not the first on Laughing to play the judge, Here Comes the Judge. It was played by Pigmeat Markham, mm-hmm. who was a burlesque. And I don't mean naked burlesque, I mean burlesque was comedy. Right. And uh, he'd say, oh, you know, he'd be listening to his friend tell him something that happened night before last or something, and he'd go, here come the judge, and, and walk away. And so George Slaughter had seen that many years before and said, we want you to do that on the show. And after he, he, he wasn't well at that point, so after a few weeks, Sammy came in and said, I'll do it, and did a great job of being the judge. Here come the judge. I mean, he gave it some real flair. Yeah. Now, one of the writers that came on the show was Barry Took, and he was from England. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be on George Noom, George Slaughter Noom. So he said, come on, be on for six weeks. You can be on the show. We got six more. So he teamed him up with me, and I got to write with Barry Took. And Barry Took was one of the writers and creators of, oh, my gosh, it's a great classic comedy in England. Oh, Monty Python. Monty Python, yeah. You know, that's a funny show. I don't know. And Marty Feldman, he was classically hilarious, funny, in my opinion. I would have loved to have got to work with him, but I liked working with his partner, Barry Took. Uh And Barry said, you know, when you're the next time you're in London, pick me up, I'll introduce you to the king. I mean, to the queen. And I said, 
I've never been to London. He said, you've never been to London? Well, let's book a trip. And I said, well, I can't right now. We're writing the show. And he said, I know. But as soon as you can, come over. I want you, I'm going to introduce you to the Queen of England. And he meant it. The next thing I heard, I didn't get, I never got over there, I'm sorry to say. But uh, Barry Took was knighted by the Queen. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. So now he, he, well, he's passed away since, but he was Sir Barry Took the next time I talked to him. Well, it just goes to show that the reason why we have people like you on our program, Jim, is that you hang out with High Company. Yeah. Well, that was Jack Margolis. <laughs> he, he, got, he got the laughing writing job because George loved his book, The Child's Garden of Grass, by Steve. <laughs> I mean, Jack and, you know, pretty big selling book, but George thinks, it's just the way he liked the way Jack thought and hired him to be a writer on the show. And he was he was good, really good. Jim Abel is with us via Zoom, along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen. Jim Abel, Emmy-nominated comedy writer, one of the staff writers of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. You have an anecdote about Alan Manning, the writer, and Joanne Flug. Alan Manning, who also created One Day at a Time mm-hmm. with his wife, Whitney Blake. Mm-hmm. Whitney was uh, on the show Hazel. Hazel, yeah. Yeah, she she was the she was the rich lady that had Hazel for a maid in the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. We got nominated for a Golden Globe, and Alan said, "Come on up this weekend, you guys, and go for a swim." It was like 100 degrees in the Valley, so we went up there and we had a great time. And he got called away, and I think he was planning to get away from us. He just wanted to get us all together. But Joanne and a couple of his other friends were there. Oh, you know, Joanne, is, oh yeah, she know, did a lot of TV yeah. movies and TV shows throughout the 70s and 80s, yeah. yeah. I think I think it got the best of me seeing her, and she's beautiful. Yes. And uh, so I was like, where's the bar? Did he leave us to <laughs> that I know where it is. And anyway, the next thing you know, we went and picked a bottle of wine out from a pretty good collection of bottles of wine and popped the cork and drank the whole darn thing. And Joanne Flug helped us, you know, and I, I never heard from Alan about it, but uh, I'm sure he, he wasn't happy. I mean, I heard it was like a four, $400 bottle of wine. Yes, but, but come on. if you go to enjoy a $400 bottle of wine, it might as well be somebody else's bottle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's when $400 was a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When a bottle of wine is a wine. Yeah. We mentioned in our open that... Uh, one of the other artists uh, you worked with were the Doobie Brothers. You wrote material for their live tour in 1973. How did that come about? It came about because uh, I was hired actually by Warner Brothers Records. And they, um, at that tour, were going to be on the Doobie Liner. It was a Martin 404 with Doobie Liner painted on the side. And the band was really coming on strong record sales-wise. So their manager... He said, I want you to write some things on location. I thought, God, they're going to be tired after concert stuff. And the next morning, you get up and travel to a whole other city. That's why they had the airplane. He said, well, I'm figuring that extra time the airplane is going to give us to not be driving on the road in a bus. We can do get some shots and stuff, and which we did. And Danny Fong was the photographer and cinematographer hired by uh, Warner Brothers mm-hmm. to come along with us. And he's great. I don't know if there's still that Afong's restaurant there in Los Angeles. There used to be one on Ventura Boulevard. Yeah, Afong. Afong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, I believe there's several other ones. But that's that's just, that's Danny Fong's family. But he was a great cameraman. And we we yeah. create a bit on the spot and 
cast the Doobie Brothers. Now, not every one of them was the right one for that part, but we had, they had fun, and it became a private thing. It's really kind of not available, and it's not yeah. dirty, it's not mean, it's not vicious, it's not, no racism, none of that stuff. It's just whether the fans want to see them like that. The fans, you know, see them as a serious, almost like a biker band yeah. in the early days. Yeah, but I, I, it sounds like they appreciated the opportunity to do a little comedy to the extent it worked for each each and every one of them. It, it allowed them to display a different side of themselves. Exactly. And, uh, they, you know, they've just been, I think just recently, since before the pandemic, inaugurated into the... Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Rock, Fame. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Which I've never been to, but I'm planning it. And I'm sure everybody had to... Their travels curtailed quite a bit this year. Yeah, and I know that on your bucket list is to go to the National Comedy Center in New York, where they recognize the efforts and the uh, and the legacy of Rona Martin's Laughing and George Slaughter. Yeah, I, I've seen online that the, the website shows the inauguration of the whole the opening, mm -hmm. of the, and uh, George Slaughter was there with his wife Jolene and lots of different people. And uh, I'm looking forward to going there. Jim Abel is with us via Zoom, along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen. Jim Abel, Emmy-nominated comedy writer, one of the staff writers of Roan and Martin's Laugh-In. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We mentioned in our open, uh, you wrote a special for Cass Elliott. How did that come about? Uh, that came about because her manager sold CBS on the idea of her doing a special. And the, the whole theme was, don't call me mama anymore. I'm not part of the mamas and papas anymore. I've got a whole new career and all new songs and blah, blah, blah. So we went to uh, Mr. Kelly's in Chicago and recorded the live album. And Chet and I were hired to write humorous material for or situations it isn't always a joke with a punchline it's just something that may fit in with you know something one of her guests or mm -hmm. something on the special so that was a lot of fun and uh, then from there we got hired to uh, write for Ann margaret for her big show and that was neat so i went, I went up to her house to, to meet with her and talk and let her decide if I, I could contribute anything to the act she was going to open in Vegas. And she said, let me show you my present my husband gave me for my birthday. And she pushes a button and, and the floor, the top layer peels back and up comes a, a, a grand piano. Oh, wow. You know? Oh. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that must have cost, I don't know how much, but the piano would probably cost more than the work to put it in, the mechanism. But it was pretty impressive. And uh, she says, come on side, I want to share my, my favorite part of the house. Last year, he, had, he had gave me this for a present. And it's a, it's a cabin. It's all like a cedar closet with all of her wigs and her hats and stuff in there. And she said, when I come in here, it's about exactly the size of the cabin I grew up in. Her, her grandmother in uh, was it Oslo, they made a cedar house that big. And she said, That's I feel the most at home when I'm in that place than anywhere I ever go, even my home here now. And I said, that's beautiful. Tell the audience that at the end of the song, walk to the edge of the stage and kind of sit down and say, look at me, I'm in the grand ballroom with the MGM, whatever, you know. And yet my grandmother's house was a castle to me. And then she describes it and how she felt when she'd go in there. And now she goes in her closet to get a hat or something and she's taken back to Norway, I think, is where she's from. Anne Margaret. I think so, yeah. But uh, quite a lady. Yeah, I've never had the opportunity to speak to her, but I know people who know her. And yeah. what you said 
reflects what I understand about her, which is what you see is what you get. She's very down to earth, very grounded, a real person. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I was going to mention to you the other day, because I know you've worked with doing something about James Garner. I was trying to think of the name oh, of yeah, yeah, character. Yeah, 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 yeah. People would come on laughing, and we'd write their material. They step out there and shoot a line, leave a pause for laughter, do 10 or 12 lines by the person and send them home. And you might see them all season because we talk, you know, we shoot, shoot 20 runners, which are running gags. You right. see it again and say, you know, it's in the pool hall. And, you know, every time something happens, Sammy was really good at taking one of those and making them happy. We did a birthday party and they're all dressed like kids. And he goes to blow out the candle and he, the whole giant cake goes flying across the table and lands on Goldie, you know. And she, well, she wasn't expecting it. We didn't tell her. And it was cake. It was things like that. It's yeah. just a lot of fun. But the, the thing about the, the bits were that they're running bits. You could get two seasons worth of each show had that one situation in it. But a different thing happens every time, uh, which is real. It gives you a break. And you get enough extra bits in the can. Yeah, so you might so you might see a segment with Jim Garner that appeared in one show, but then ten shows later or the following year, you might see another snippet from that same sequence that he recorded a year and a half ago. I remember there, there was a bit with James Garner, and I think it had uh, it featured. It was just a running gag throughout the show. I think it had Judy Carn and maybe Goldie Hawn or something, where it's yeah. like you know. You know, I want to be professional, shake your hand, but I really like to kiss you. And then the last person that he had the gag with was Chelsea Brown. And she says, you know, I really like to give you a kiss, but they'll only let me shake your hand. <laughs> and I mean, and it was a beautiful payoff. I mean, you know, just kind of explaining the time period that we were in. Yeah. Part of a line that I wrote, it's just a quick little bit that happens. We should, we had uh, off of Bonanza, Hoss. Dan Blocker, yeah. And uh, he, he comes walking across the studio, and he was a big guy. Yes, he was. This 10 gallon, and he's got Sammy Davis Jr. on his back, and he's like piggyback riding across the stage, and he's, he didn't hesitate when I said what the line was going to be, and I'll put on a kick card. She says, you don't have to. If I can keep a straight face, I'm walking. He, so he walks across the stage, and he goes, when are we going to get the black man off our back? And everybody laughed, including Sammy, and we we're not live, so are you, are we sure we want to show this. Yes, we showed it to various people, and they all thought it was funny. It was it was great, in fact. Nowadays, I don't think you could get away with that no. because it would be taken prejudice. But trust me, it was no way prejudice. In fact, just the opposite. I've made jokes that have been performed by a lot of people, and they, they like doing them. Yeah, but this is something we talk about on the show. This has to do with standards and practices. Sometimes... The memo you get from standards and practices depends on the standards and practices executive who is assigned to screen your show that day. And, uh, yeah. and so something they may circle today may go completely over their head next week. Or in the case of laughing, they may have missed a bit with Dan Blocker and uh, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. because they were focusing about 16 other things. Exactly. But I made it a rule of mine, and I think I did it before I got into television, which because I was a jokester anyway. And it was like, no, nobody's at the expense of my jokes, except occasionally me. But I, that, you know, that, I'm not going to get a laugh at the expense of a person that jokes about or something. That, that doesn't make it. And it doesn't last either. Today, like on Saturday Night Live, they have, every once in a while they have somebody on there that they realize they shouldn't have got them on there. 
but the most of the time they it's brilliant you know the stuff that they can they can do they can tackle all kinds of subjects and that's the good thing jim abel is with us via zoom along with tony figueroa and donna allen jim abel emmy nominated comedy writer one of the staff writers of roan and martin's laugh-in you mentioned earlier in our conversation that before you broke into television you're a technical illustrator if you visit jim's facebook page you'll see that jim still is a very gifted artist illustrator although uh much of what you do right now is kind of character some of it kind of reminds me of the far side it's kind of like the, the that one panel humor to me that the far side like larson gary larson mm-hmm. is the best is the best example yeah of one person being consistently funny clever it just he brought a lot of laughs to a lot of people and, and his book still sell and Wow. I bet you and I and Tony and Donna. Donna, thank yeah. you. His cartoons are just awesome. I mean, I'm going to say one of his cartoons just so you get the picture. It's out in the country and the cows are all standing up on their hind legs having sipping coffee and tea. And somebody says, here comes a car. Back on your all four feet. You know what I mean? That when we don't see cows, they stand on their back legs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even sound that funny, but when you see the way he drew, drew no, it. It's, it's, it's very funny. And, and I, I would describe your style as an artist as sort of a cross between Gary Larson and the guy who does Ziggy. Because you, you've got the surreal sense of Gary Larson, but you've, got, you've kind of got that rough sketch roughly hewn pencil sketch style of the guy who does Ziggy. Right. A lot of times, some of those cartoons are the actual darn near the napkin that I drew. You know, I, I, as a sketch artist, I'm kind of pre- proud of that. Yeah. If you look at some of those, there are only a few pen lines or pencil lines, and there's two characters in the door, and, and you know what I mean? It's like simple as could be, but the concept's there. Yeah. And so I used to remake them then and really make them fine, like technical illustrations. Hey, just sign them and put them out there because... They're funny. They're funny. I can draw better now, but I don't need to. I draw good enough so that you can. Well, if you look at my website, it's not a website. It's a your Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yeah, you can follow Jim Abel on Facebook. Tony Donnan. So you work with uh, Gary Owens as well, right? Yes. In L.A., he was a local radio personality before and after laughing. AFWB. Yes. Channel ninety. I'm from there. We sit in the that... parking lot. I'd sit in the parking lot before. High school started, you know, three or four of us. They, everybody seemed to smoke cigarettes but me. But anyway, <laughs> still sitting. He, he also did a morning show with Al Lohman for a while. Yeah, and Al Lohman and Roger Barkley got such a good rating and good uh, good standing that CBS hired us to write a pilot for them. And we just simply called it The Lohman and Barkley. And so it had, let's see, it had a lot of stars in it. One of those guests happened to be Carol Burnett. When we come back, Jim will tell a story about Carol Burnett's appearance on the Loman and Barkley. Plus, I'll share a few other memories of his career writing for television. All that and more as we continue our conversation with Emmy-nominated writer Jim Abel here in TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast you can enjoy. This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at 
tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.